0: Welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 663. That
1: which does not kill us makes us stronger. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah.
0: I've got one in each of my vehicles. Get yours at GeniusChargers.com Hello automotive enthusiasts. I am revved up and so excited to introduce today's very special guest, Kurt Ernst. Hey Kurt, are you buckled up and ready for a fun ride? I am indeed, Mark. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Great to have you here. Kurt Ernst is the editor of the Hemmings Daily, the world's leading classic car news source. At Hemmings.com, you'll find classified ads, the latest stories relating to classic cars, all the Hemmings magazine publications, all the automotive events, and a store that's filled with all sorts of cool things and much, much more. A few years out of college, Kurt spent some time club racing in the SCCA. He's worked as a freelance automotive photographer and journalist in the past, and he even got to work on an Indy car team for a short time. Today, he oversees the many editorial offerings at Hemmings Daily, And he's a regular guest on Hemmings Motor News Radio. So Kurt, I've told our listeners just a tiny bit about you. Would you take a brief moment and share a little bit more about your career before we get into some of
1: the questions? I would indeed, Mark. Thank you. You're welcome. First, you've all heard the cliche that uh, if you love what you do, you'd never work a day in your life.
0: (laughs) Yes. Henry Ford, I think, was the man who coined that. Uh,
1: Yeah. It took me until about age, uh, well, let's just say north of 40-something to figure that out. (laughs) So, uh, after a career in the, uh, the photo industry of all things, circa 2010, uh, I took the advice of a close friend who had for years tried to get me to become a writer hmm. and, uh, I embraced, uh, her suggestion and began writing about cars and, uh, soon found out that, uh, I could do this for a living. And I think since that time, I can honestly say that I've never really worked uh, a day in my life and, uh, <laughs> It's it's afforded me some wonderful opportunities. I've met some great people along the way.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, you have figured out the secret sauce to life, that's for sure. It's really what CarJazz is all about. The mantra here, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, is about uh, talking to people that have figured out exactly what you figured out. Kudos to you, and hopefully together we can inspire some other people that are trying to figure that out as well along the way. And speaking about inspirational quotes and mantras as we continue on your journey, I always like to start by asking my guests for a success quote. This is some kind of saying that's been instrumental in forming your life and your success, and it's a nice way to get those inspirational tires turning here on Cars, yeah? So, Kurt, take the
1: wheel. Well, Mark, as you might guess, my uh, my name is German, so I'm going to have to go with a German philosopher quote on this. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that that's from Nietzsche, and his quote is, That which does not kill us. Makes us stronger, (laughs) and I think uh, you know. There's been a fair amount of adversity uh, in my career, and you know, there have been times where it's it's difficult to wake up, get out of bed, and keep doing the same thing. Mm -hmm. But despite that, I've always you know fought through it and kept pushing forward, and uh, it's brought me to where I am today.
0: Let's touch on that a little deeper, because uh, I know we're going to have some more questions for you as we go through this uh, conversation. You implied a little bit of uh, a challenging time in your, your past, I guess, a little bit, and then uh, finding your uh, what you really
1: wanted to do. So
0: touch on that little uh, pain point again about uh, what doesn't kill you
1: makes you stronger. <laughs> sure. Uh, of course, all of us remember as, uh, you know, in our misspent youth, going to camera stores and buying film. Oh, yeah. So, you know, spent uh, 20 some odd years in that industry, and then one day that industry wasn't there anymore. Transitioned, and you know my background had been in product management and uh, project management. So transitioned into a different project management role, and uh, somehow convinced my wife to pick up and move cross country from uh, northern New Jersey to Florida, and uh, we ran a uh, an operation down there for a government contractor and went well the first year went well enough to the point where we bought a house in florida and we signed a five-year contract with our uh customer and then uh about six months after that the customer called us into the office and said um well sorry about this but we have to cancel your contract oh ouch yeah so suddenly uh both my wife and i were unemployed in florida Uh. and uh you know with a brand new house we just uh purchased and uh, not not a comfortable place to be right but uh you know being uh Somewhat self confident. I was convinced that uh, it's not a problem to find a job. Sure, the economy isn't great, but, uh, well, you know, two weeks went by, a month went by, six months went by, nine months went by. I can't tell you how many resumes I sent out, how many phone calls I made, how many doors I knocked on, but it's probably close to four digits.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And uh, again, thanks to, uh, you know, a friend who had been trying for, I'm going to say, about five years to get me to quit my job and become a writer. Uh, I heeded her advice and wow. uh, began began writing about cars. <laughs> so cool. Yeah, began selling my work, and, and it took me a while to realize that what I was doing as an automotive writer really wasn't that much different than what I was doing in product management hmm. uh, because, again, there's a lot of interviewing in product management. There's a lot of fact-checking in product management. There's a lot of writing yeah. in, uh, in in product management. Yeah. So- you know, whether it's a uh, a white paper, uh, you know, a product brief or, a, you know, a car review, it's pretty much the same thing.
0: Yeah, you know, when industries change, I remember way back when I worked in graphic design long, long time ago, there was a hot set press type uh, business not far from us that we used to use. And, of course, things were changing to digital. And I remember all those hot sure. press lead setting type people out picketing because they were upset that their jobs were being done away with. And I remember talking with them saying, folks – This isn't coming back. (laughs) You just, this is change. You got to go learn how to work on computers and do that. And some of them ended up doing it. And other ones just were so steadfast. They just, they couldn't believe that their industry was going to change and it wasn't going to be there anymore. And it's happening all the time things evolve and change. And uh, that's what makes makes life interesting. And you're right. If it doesn't kill you, it makes you a little stronger. At least you hope so. So <laughs> let's go back in time. I'd love for you to share a story that instigated your passion for cars. You're a diehard car guy, even though you didn't work in that field until
1: your 40s. But tell us a pivotal moment in your life when you realized that you were a car guy. Sure. Growing up, my, uh, my dad owned a service station. And uh, from the time I was probably... You know, old enough to hold a gas pump. I was up there on weekends, pumping gas and checking oil and checking tires, and you know, doing the basics that you would, you'd start before you went into a career as a mechanic or uh, automotive engineer or something along those lines. And I can't really pick one specific incident, but I do recall a time a customer had brought in brought in his Datsun 260Z for service. Yeah, cool. And I remember I must have been probably 8 or 9 years old climbing behind the wheel and looking at the the speedometer and that, you know, front and center of the tachometer that looked as big as a dinner plate <laughs> before my my youthful uh, eyes. Yeah. And I remember thinking that, you know, it's just so different than the cars I'm used to. Yeah. And I realized, I think, at that moment that not only did I have a passion for cars, but I had a passion for pretty much anything with wheels. Sports cars, uh, American classic cars, you know, God help me, motorcycles, all of the <laughs> above.
0: All of the above. You know, I remember those cars, and they had kind of – well, they had a pretty cool dash. They had kind of those scalloped little eyelids over all the gauges. Mm-hmm. I I yes. think if I remember right, there was some gauges that were kind of – two big gauges set off to the side and then three gauges to the right, something like yep. that. Yeah. Yeah,
1: three gauges above the center stack.
0: Yeah, exactly. I remember that because I had a client – I detailed cars as a kid, and she had one of those cars and would let me drive it from her house back to my house. I thought it was always so cool to be able to drive that thing. And yeah. that dash just stood out because it was so different. It was just different than most Kardashians.
1: Well, and again, the garage that uh, my father owned, uh, you know, most of the customers were diehard American car fans. So mm. to see something that unique, yeah. it might have come from Mars, let alone Japan. <laughs> yes, mm. probably so.
0: Well, I think you may have answered part of this next question, but there's probably another aspect of life you can uh, augment this with. But I'd love to take a look at some of the roads you've driven down and talk about a, a huge challenge or a big failure that you face along the way. And of course, the most important part of this kind of question has to do with. What did it teach you so that you could go, go forward? So you talked about that difficult time in Florida with your wife and, and, and trying to find a new career path. But is there, there anything else you can share with us that kind of walks us through that kind of situation and then how you kind of worked your way out
1: of it? Sure. I mean, the key thing there is always keep believing in yourself. Mm. And that sometimes is the toughest thing to do. Yeah. Uh, you know, anybody who's been in sales knows that rejection is part of it. You know, you have to take the good and the bad together. But at the same time, when there's nothing happening, when it just seems like you're not moving forward, you're spinning your wheels, or maybe you're sliding backwards, mm-hmm. you know, to wake up every day to go into that office, to sit down in front of a keyboard, and to just start banging things out, start writing, right. you know, start moving forward and, and reaching out to new clients and, and figuring out you know, where there's a niche that you, know, you can fill that somebody else isn't filling. It's tough to do that, but I'm living proof that if you continue to do that, if you continue to push forward, then uh, you can be successful.
0: So what's your key takeaway for folks out there that might be facing something like this? Because I know a lot of people, there's aspects of their job they're very comfortable with, and then there's aspects that they're not that comfortable with. So uh, it's easy to say, just keep banging away, keep working on it. But maybe what are a couple tips or tricks or ideas you might share with listeners out there that are facing that kind of difficulty
1: that might help them learn how to
0: do that every day and actually just keep plowing ahead?
1: Well, honestly, it comes down to this. It comes down to discipline. Hmm. Even when I was unemployed, I would go into the office every day about six thirty in the morning, and I would be in the office, you know, typically until you know five o'clock at night, five thirty at night. Whether it was looking for a job, whether it was you know later on researching stories, looking at upcoming auctions, researching details about cars for car reviews, hmm. things like that. So it comes down to. You have to keep busy. Ray Kroc had a great saying, if there's time to lean, there's time to clean. (laughs) Yeah. That's very much the case here as well. And the most important thing is it's so easy to be uh, kind of overcome with self-doubt. Yeah. So you you have to get out of that trap. You have to never stop believing in yourself. Mm.
0: That is a hard thing when you get into that downward spiral that self-doubt spiral. Are there any little uh, tips there or t- a tip one or two you could share with us of how you kind of keep yourself up when things are not so up?
1: Well, for me what helped was looking at the small successes I'd achieved. Yeah. Because, you know, success is a journey. You don't just get there overnight. Mm-hmm. So You know, you're not going to be an editor for a major publication before you pay your dues as a freelancer. And, you know, sometimes that's uh, tedious. You know, you write about a whole lot of, uh, you know, maybe news that's not particularly interesting or, you know, a whole lot of cars that really don't, you know, light a fire. But at the same time, you have to think about the good there. Yeah. You know, there were press trips I would go on that uh, I would think to myself, you know, if somebody told me this 10 years ago, I never would have believed it. <laughs> you know, the fact that somebody allows me to drive a car like a Cadillac CTS V on a racetrack or a Dodge Viper on a racetrack, you know, the fact that I've met people who, you know, were my heroes uh, growing up and, and now they're, they're contacts and in some cases even friends that I can pick up the phone and call. So it, it's those kind of small successes mm-hmm. along the way that really, I don't know, they they inspired me and I think. For anybody who's in the same position, I would just kind of caution them to, you know, keep that in mind. Yeah. Enjoy the small successes and reflect on those when times become difficult.
0: Absolutely. I think the key takeaways for me of what you said is that discipline and staying active, staying busy, doing something all the time every day, just something that moves towards your goal and not sit around. Don't waste time. Turn off the TV. I mean, if you're going to read, read something that has to do with how progressing your career and definitely great advice. Let's shift gears and go to the other end of the spectrum. I'd love for you to share what I call a career aha moment. Now, you had a huge career aha moment thanks to that friend of yours that kind of kept nudging you in the direction where you ended up. But is there a time when those headlights came on and kind of illuminated your way for a new direction?
1: Yes, there is. And and I think, you know, I've kind of reinvented myself a couple times throughout my career, but never in such a major way. And probably about six months after I began – you know, writing for a living and, you know, selling the stuff that I produced, it hit me one day that I was no longer a product manager or project manager. I was a writer. I'm something different. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, it, it, it's the realization that you're, you're not who you used to be. You are who you are now. And, uh, you know, it, it was a good feeling. It was a little awkward at first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> because as you might know, writers don't necessarily make the same income as as project managers. Sure, sure. But uh, at the same time, it's a realization that you've kind of found where you're supposed to be and what you're supposed to do.
0: You know, there's a term that comes to mind, imposter syndrome, when we're trying to be something new and different. And we just don't feel like we're really that yet. So we feel like we're being an imposter to people, even though you're still Mm -hmm. working in that field and you're trying to do that kind of thing. And you got to get over that imposter syndrome and just sit yourself up and say, this is what I am now. This is what I'm becoming. This is what I'm going to be.
1: And more so than that, not only this is what I'm becoming, but I'm happy with it.
0: There you go. Yeah, exactly. You got to be happy with what you're doing. That's for sure. That confidence is so important. Well, talking about happiness, let's talk about a proudest career moment. I would assume you've had many, but is there one that stands out for you?
1: you know there's there's actually quite a few, but I would have to say the proudest moment was going to work with Hemings Motor News. Mm-hmm. I mean, I was a subscriber for years and at the time, you know had grand envisions for or grand visions, rather for uh, you know restoring uh, of all things a, a Mustang Mach one until I realized you know what the the cost involved would be, uh, what the time involved would be, you know what my skill set was versus the work I'd had to uh, farm out. So again, you know I was a subscriber to uh, Hemings Motor News for a long, long time and never. Uh at that time did it cross my mind I would one day be uh be working there. And I mean ironically at the same time I did an interview with uh Business Week magazine uh about the economy and about uh new car buying, and this would have been I want to say circa nineteen ninety nine. And again, you know, to think that at that point, you know, fast forward uh, a decade or so and I'd be working as uh you know an automotive journalist was beyond my possibility to comprehend.
0: <laughs> well, You know, they say, be careful what you wish for. You might just get it. In your case, that's exactly what happened. Well, again, let's go back in time again and talk about your first really special car. That first car you got that really had some meaning for you. Maybe it was uh, your first car. Maybe it was your 10th car. I don't know. But share a special memory you have about that vehicle.
1: Well, you know what? Every car I've had, for the most part, has been special in one way or another. Uh, My very first car was a 1976 Plymouth Arrow. If you remember the the Captive Imports they were built by Mitsubishi and sold through uh Plymouth dealers in uh in the United States it wasn't particularly fast because it had a 1.6 liter engine i think made about 75 horsepower uh you <laughs> yeah. know on a, on a good day with a strong tailwind right but it taught me the joy of driving a lightweight car hmm. uh it taught me about preserving momentum and carrying speed into a corner the next car i had beyond that was a 1977 Volkswagen Scirocco ah yeah that was in the uh, the second year. I think they began uh, adding fuel injection in 1976, if I remember correctly. So that was the second year of the Bosch mechanical fuel injection. Mm-hmm. That car taught me self-reliance. It taught me the, the joys of lying in an apartment parking lot on the coldest day of the year changing a water pump. <laughs> uh, it, it, <laughs> it taught me you know, why it's so important to keep a fuel system clean, because when you use a, uh, a large concentration of fuel system cleaner, well, then you spend the next two weeks pulling every single fuel injector out and spraying them with cleaner before you could start the car. So taught me a lot. <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, you know, I remember those arrows. they were a hatchback, right? If yes. I remember that car, right? Kind of had some cool little design features in the back with little and like like gills or something a little grill windows or something if i remember them right and yep, you yeah, do yeah and and the reason is uh, i had a, a buddy in school and college that had one and then my first new car was a 1979 shiraco so uh, we share oh, a little so you something you know it well sure yeah yeah now sure. i didn't have any of the issues that you had so it must have been where you lived or something cuz that was <laughs> that was such a reliable car it it just Nothing ever went wrong except one time uh one of the seals in the engine block kind of blew out. Um, luckily, I caught it before anything bad happened. But uh it was a great little car. I had that car for like yeah. 10 or 11 years, sold it to a neighbor, and uh, it was still in beautiful condition. A drunk driver hit her and wiped it out, so it died oh, no. then. She survived. I love that car. It was great, isn't it? It was my first new car too, so that was pretty special.
1: I think there's a difference, Mark. Mine was um – tired i think is the appropriate oh. way to <laughs> put it okay when uh, when i bought it, it it had uh you know 100 100- 10,000 oh, miles. well, there you go.
0: I, that's about when I sold mine, so yeah, I think that is the difference, because I bought mine right off the showroom floor, so uh, yeah, it was a, a pretty cool car. Plus, I lived yeah. in San Diego. The weather was always great. There was no cold floors to lay on there, so
1: <laughs> different. Yeah, I was living in, in Boulder, Colorado oh, at the time. jeez. So you can yeah. only imagine.
0: <laughs> yeah, a little different. I used to drive my car up to Mammoth Mountain, take it on many ski trips, and it would uh, take that reliable eight-hour journey up to Mammoth Mountain from San Diego, but uh, I love the Schrock. It was a great, great car. How about seller's remorse? Is there a vehicle you've owned that you've let go that you
1: really wish you had back in your garage? You know, there's two. I'm actually a big Miata guy these days. Cool. And I've owned an NA Miata, the first generation, and I've owned an NC. The NA was a good car, the first generation Miata. Mm -hmm. However, it's not really a car you really want to drive every day. It, It made you make some concessions. Yeah, it's pretty small. Uh, it was. It was small. It was, you know, the first ones before they went to the larger 1.8-liter uh, engine. Uh, the first ones were a little bit underpowered, but uh, the NC, I bought a an NC Miata in uh, 2006 when they first came out, and I uh, loved that car. Made a couple minor changes to the uh, suspension, lowered it with uh, Mazda Speed Springs, put on a little bit stiffer sway bars, and really, that's all the car needed. It was a very comfortable car, handled intuitively, and uh, I I do miss that car. I do wish I had that car back.
0: Yeah, they're fun. I remember a guy I worked with bought that first-generation Miata, and uh, again, we were living in San Diego. He was a bachelor, so we would go to lunch, put the top down. He'd let me drive it, and I thought, man, this is a really fun little car. It It was just such a blast to have in that kind of environment. For sure. So, yeah.
1: yeah. Definitely.
0: Tough, though. He was a surfer, so he had to kind of rig up a way to put his board on that (laughs) thing because there was no roof rack that really worked very well. So,
1: Or drive without a passenger.
0: Uh, Well, yeah, you could just kind of put the nose down in the front seat and lay the seat back a little bit. That's the way he had to do it. It had to be a short board, though, no long boards. It wouldn't work with that thing. (laughs) Well, let's talk about today and tomorrow. What are you working on right now that really has you excited and fired up for the new year?
1: Well, the only project in the garage at this point, I've I've got a uh, 2000 BMW R1100R motorcycle. Oh, nice. I uh, I lovingly refer to as a Pandora because every time I open something up, it's nothing but evil. <laughs> Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah, I, I made a comment today to a uh, colleague uh speaking about it and uh you know, past owners had great intentions. Yeah. But let's just say we're lacking in the skills department. So, uh there's a couple things I need to get uh, corrected on that over the winter. And it's just a matter of uh you know how much time and patience I have to to dive into that and and fix what needs to get fixed for the spring riding season.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well you live there in Vermont, so yeah, the bikes have to go away for the winter time for sure. Well
1: Correct. Now
0: I'm sure that almost every listener out there right now knows about Hammings. I've been a subscriber since I don't know when. I mean, forever, it seems like. Uh, we refer to, obviously, Hemming's Motor News as the Bible, that big, thick book we get every <laughs> month with all the fun yes. stuff inside. But tell us a little bit or tell the listeners a little bit more about all the different things that Hemmings provides. Because a lot of people subscribe to one of the magazines or maybe two or three of the different publications you guys put. But you
1: don't, they may not know about all the other things that you guys offer out there. So maybe walk us through some of that. Absolutely. We publish four magazines every single month. One, of course, is the Hemmings uh, Motor News Big Book, which you know people have known for years. We publish Classic Car, we publish Hemmings Muscle Machines, and we publish Hemmings Sports and Exotic Car. In addition to that, we publish the uh, Hemmings Daily Monday through Friday and on Sunday, and that's kind of my area. Plus, of course, we have print classifieds, we have online classifieds. Uh, we have a, a dealer pro classified system now that kind of pre-qualifies buyers and uh, and, and sellers and kind of um, smooths the the transition and smooths the uh, the selling process. And and again, we do so many events throughout the year uh, on Thursday nights in the summertime. We have our uh, weekly cruisins, or actually every other week during the summer. Uh, we have our cruisins at Hemmings Motor News headquarters in Bennington. Uh, we put on the Muscle Palooza show twice a year on Labor Day and on uh, Memorial Day. We put on the Hemmings uh, Sports and Exotic Car Show once a year. We also do the Hemmings Motor News Concord Elegance every year, and that's a, a just a tremendously fun weekend. We have a uh, cruising spectacular on Saturday. A drive to the event on uh, Friday before that, we have the uh, dinner on Saturday night presentations on Saturday night. And then of course we have the Concord itself on Sunday. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a humble Concord. It's nowhere near the scope of Amelia Island or Pebble beach, but, uh, the compliments we get from people who have participated it makes it, uh, makes it all worthwhile. And, uh, you know, my colleague, Matt Litwin does a lot of the legwork on that and really deserves a lot of the praise for, uh, for pulling that off year after year.
0: Oh, they're a huge amount of work. I've had many Concord directors, including the Head of Pebble Beach and Amelia Island and the Arizona Concord and the Boston Cup. And I mean, it just goes on and on. And the amount of work that a Concord takes is <laughs> is just astronomical. But, gee, you guys aren't busy at all there at Hemmings,
1: are you? You don't hardly no, do anything. <laughs> no, not at all. My and goodness. actually, uh, one more plug for the Hemmings Concord. Yeah. Probably the only Concord I can name where the judges are the same guy that, that uh, move you in in the morning.
0: Ah, nice. Yeah. Yeah, uh, very grassroots, down to earth kind of yes. thing. Yeah, folksy kind yep. of thing. Very nice. Well, again, Hamming's, I mean, fantastic publication. I enjoy getting mine every month. And, uh, if any of you listeners out there don't subscribe, oh my gosh, you have to because it's just everything's there. So very cool. Well, here's a very introspective question for you, Kurt. If Kurt was a car or vehicle, what kind would you be and why?
1: You know, Mark, I, I thought about this and I hope so. <laughs> I'd like to think of myself as like a Dodge Hellcat, Dodge Challenger Hellcat. Ooh, wow. But honestly, no. I, I'd like to think of myself more as like a a Mopar Slant 6. Oh, okay. Not, not necessarily the most exciting thing, but one that's always going to get you home, one that's like dead-on reliable.
0: Ah, nice. You did think about this. I appreciate that very much. Thank you. That's exactly the kind of answer I like to hear. Well, Kurt, up next is the last lap, but before we put the pedal to the metal, let's say thank you to today's Cars Yeah sponsors. Everyone who knows me knows I'm really picky when it comes to my cars and keeping them looking new. I'm a huge fan of Covercraft floor mats. I've protected my vehicle with their products for decades. Want to keep your vehicle's interior looking new? It's easy with Covercraft floor mats. They will protect your vehicle's factory carpets from daily abuse, weather, pets, children, weekend adventures, and those everyday spills. It's a fast, easy, and stylish way to keep your vehicle looking new. Covercraft floor mats come in a wide variety of styles, materials, and configurations, all designed for maximum protection. In addition to Premier plush and Berber custom floor mats, you'll also find cargo liners, canine cargo area liners, dash covers, and sunscreens. Enhance your vehicle's looks while protecting the factory finishes with easy-to-install and easy-to-clean floor mats. Covercraft is the right choice. Learn more today at covercraft.com and tell a market Cars Yeah sent you. That's covercraft.com. If you own collector cars and still have a little bit of money left over, congratulations. You're ahead of most people. But what should you do with the money you don't spend on cars? Talk to Chris Kimball, certified financial planner practitioner. For over 20 years, he's been helping people just like you and me with their financial planning and investments. And he's a car guy, too. Call 253-722-PLAN. Or you can view his website at www.chrisvkimble.com. Make sure your investments are running on all eight cylinders, or 12, or 16. Securities through Money Concepts Capital Corp. member, Finra Sipic. Are you looking for a way to get your products or services into the ears of thousands of automotive enthusiasts around the globe? I can help. This is Mark Green here at Cars Yeah, and I'd be honored to be an influencer and ambassador for your brand in a unique and personal way. Five days a week, thousands of subscribers and listeners enjoy the Cars Yeah podcast and website. Contact me today and I'll show you how at mark at com or connect with me through the Cars Yeah website at carsyeah.com. All right, Kurt, we are back, and we're entering the last lap, and I'm going to fire off a series of questions and ask you to give our listeners some very quick blips of the throttle answers. So here we go.
1: Ready to downshift.
0: All right, very good. Double clutch. What's the best automotive advice you've ever received?
1: When I started racing, uh, one of my instructors, we were in the middle of a, a rainy track day session. We were heading into a corner, and I'm just about to hit the braking marker. When he turned off the, uh, the windshield wipers, I said, mm. Mike, are you nuts? What are you doing? He looked at me, and he said, deal with it. <laughs> what he was trying to get across was you know very much a, a a bit of yoda wisdom yeah in the middle of a race if something like that goes wrong you're not going to stop and pull off right. you're just going to have to deal with it and you know that advice I, I one time got a uh a bee sting below my eye uh riding a motorcycle with the visor cracked mm. and again deal with yeah. you know you're not going to crash you know it, it's uncomfortable but right. you know deal with it so the best advice i can give Deal with it. Uh, deal, with, <laughs>
0: deal with it. You know, when it comes to mind. I used to race vintage cars. I raced a Lotus eighteen Formula Junior, and anyone who knows that car knows it has a very delicate Renault gearbox with a little tiny shifter. With a, it had the original shift knob from nineteen sixty, all kind of old and cracked. And I was going into a corner and down shifting, and the knob came off in my hand. So all I was left with was this little tiny rod sticking up. And they're on the shifters on the left, not the right, which is. Additional thought process, and you're right. I just had to kind of deal with it because I I couldn't stop. There was cars behind me, and so sure. I just kind of shoved it between my legs and kept going. <laughs> you know, so and, and that's it. So you dealt with it. I just dealt with it. Yeah. Luckily, uh, didn't crash the thing, so that's a good thing. Would you share one of your personal habits that you believe has helped contribute to your success over the years?
1: Sure. And again, I'm going to go back to the Ray Kroc mantra of time to lean, time to clean. Hmm. I, it's it's something that I see in a lot of people that you know they could be busy doing other things that would further their career you know they they could be busy doing other more productive things and you know let's be honest today's social media is a big time suck yeah. uh the internet is a big time suck and it, it's very easy to get drawn into that so you know again best personal habit that i have is that i'm i'm always busy i'm always doing something
0: Do you have a resource that you'd like to share with our listeners obviously other than hemmings.com because that's an awesome resource but maybe maybe
1: another one well really that's um Kind of my be-all and end-all for for the automotive world. Uh, And, of course, if you're not a subscriber to the Hemmings Daily, you can do that off Hemmings.com or off of blog.hemmings.com.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm a subscriber. It's really easy to do. I'll make sure I put a link on Kurt's show notes page here at carsyad.com. You can just click on; it'll take you right to that page where you can sign up. I would encourage you to do it because they send you some great things. They come out almost every day, pretty much. There's always something cool to go look at, refer to, and definitely worth your time. It is not a time suck at Hemmings.com. That's for <laughs> well, sure. Thank you. Thank you <laughs> You're for sure. And uh, Kurt, how about a book? Is there a book that maybe you read recently? You think the Car Show listeners would enjoy?
1: Sure. As many of the uh, listeners know, Brock Yates passed away not too long ago.
0: Oh, uh, yeah. In fact, I had his son, uh, Brock Jr., on the show Brock, just a couple yep. months ago.
1: Yep. I was actually a participant in One Lap of America in 2011, so oh, I how know, know Brock Jr. fairly well. Oh, nice. But, uh, yeah, I, I would like to say if you haven't had the opportunity to read Cannonball, uh from Brock Yates. I would definitely put that on the reading list. Yeah, great
0: books. It's on my shelf. Well, listeners, you can find links to all these awesome resources that Kurt has shared on his show notes page at com slash Kurt Ernst, E-R-N-S-T is the spelling of his last name. And there's another great place where you can re- refer to all sorts of cool books that all the past guests have referred here. It's called Guest Recommended Books, where you can just go and click to buy any of those books. There's over a thousand books listed there. It's a wonderful resource if you love to read from all the past 663 cars, yeah, guess. All right, Kurt, we're up to the checkered flag, and this last question can be a bit of a doozy, but it's a fun one. If you could have only one collector car in your garage, and I'm going to buy you anything you'd like, so don't worry about the cost. I'll even pay for the insurance, so no big deal. <laughs>
1: what would that vehicle be and why? Mark, that would be a McLaren F1.
0: Oh my gosh, you picked a good one. There goes my Christmas budget. Okay, well, <laughs> that's okay I, though. That's okay because, you know what, that's one of my favorite cars too. What is it about the McLaren F1 that just tugs on your heart?
1: You know, there are faster cars out there now, the McLaren P1, the LaFerrari, the Porsche 918 Spyder. However, I think in my own head, supercar development ended with McLaren F1. I understand logically how a hybrid supercar is a better product than an internal combustion supercar. But the the diehard gearhead in me still says the McLaren F1 is the be-all and end-all of supercars.
0: Yeah. Uh, They're just wonderful cars. I had the… Incredible pleasure back when they were building those to the factory. I got to visit McLaren because one of the companies I was working with supplied them with their tools. It was FACOM. Mm-hmm. And I used sure. to import FACOM tools. And we got to go to their F1 facility and see how the cars were built. And then we went over to the McLaren where they were building those cars. And, oh, my gosh, it was like a surgical room. I mean, it was just <laughs> incredible. And- well, And
1: here's here's a little bit of uh, McLaren F1 trivia that ties back to FACOM tools. Did you know that the tools in the McLaren F1 Toolkit were made of titanium to save weight.
0: Yes, I know. In fact, here's a little another side note. I was trying to convince FACOMP to let us import titanium wrench sets and tools so that we could sell them. And at the time, there was an exclusive with McLaren, and they weren't allowed to sell those to anyone else. So we couldn't do that. (laughs) And then when they told me what they would cost, uh, I figured nobody would buy them anyway. (laughs) So it didn't really matter. But... uh, they came with a set of those tools, uh, a little side compartment there that folded down. They went into. So, uh yes, McLaren F1.
1: What color would you like yours to be? You know, I'll take the uh, the orange. Oh, that I, they made the. Uh, I was hoping you'd say that. <laughs> yeah, the uh, F1 LM. It doesn't have to be an F1 LM. I'm not fussy, but I'll take the orange. <laughs> I think it was um, <laughs> Pia Orange, if I remember. correctly.
0: Oh, uh, yeah, wonderful color, wonderful car. So, yeah. In fact, I think it,
1: um, Ralph
0: Lauren' his is orange, I believe. I I believe it is. Yeah, if I remember right. So ah, he's got all the cool stuff. Oh, well, it's all those shirts I bought from him with that little polo (laughs) pony on the breast that probably did it. So, Kurt, you have taken me on an awesome ride today. I've enjoyed getting to know you better. And I want to thank you for sharing your automotive journey with the Cars Yow listeners and with me. Could you offer us one parting piece of guidance before you rip off down the road in that McLaren F1?
1: I can indeed. And that advice would be believe in yourself and never give up. Ah,
0: Yes, absolutely. What's the best way for our listeners,
1: again, to learn more about you and about Hemings? Uh, Come visit me at blog.hemings.com, and uh, you'll see my work on a daily basis in the uh, the Hemings Daily. Uh, It's free to sign up, and if you don't like it, you can cancel that subscription at any time, and we give a money-back guarantee on that.
0: Very nice. And obviously, you're also involved in Hemings Radio from time to time, right?
1: Correct. You can listen to me on Hemings Radio. I'm on uh, probably about once or twice a month with uh, our host, David Nutter.
0: Yep, David's been a guest here on Car yeah. It was great to talk to him. He taught me a little bit and gave me some tips and tricks to be a better podcaster through his uh, expertise, just like you have today. Listeners, you can find links to everything we've talked about, again, on Kurt's show notes page at com. Just type Kurt in the search bar. That page will pop up with links. And my goodness, if you're not a Hemings subscriber or follower, you have to be. If you're a car person, it's required. So just go do it, okay? Because I've been a subscriber for decades. Wonderful publication, wonderful people, just like uh, Kurt there is today. Thank you, Kurt, for being so generous today with your time and your expertise and for sharing your automotive experiences with the Cars Yeah listeners and with me. Until we talk again, I'll see you down the road. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it very much. You're welcome.
1: Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsY'all.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun.